Hi, I'm Matt Falk, coming at you from Hottie Da Studio. Welcome to Past, Present, Future, the only podcast in the universe that dares to appease the ghosts of comedy past, comedy present, and comedy yet to come. My guest today is a stand-up comedian, actor, and comedy advocate. Born in New York, raised in Vancouver, he rose the ranks of the comedy scene, appearing on Star Search, Comedy Central's Premium Blend, Comedy Now, Comics, and Just for Laughs. Then, as if that wasn't enough, he became the host of the massive hit reality game show Cash Cab for an incredible eight seasons. In the middle of all that, he performed on cruise ships, comedy clubs, colleges, and theaters, created and toured a one-man show, spoke at countless events across North America, and hosted his own Just for Laughs TV gala. Some of his latest acting credits include The Umbrella Academy on Netflix and Man Seeking Woman with Jay Baruchel. More recently, he is the host of a new podcast entitled Taxi Driver True Tales, and he co-founded and sits on the board of the Foundation for Canadian Comedy. Please welcome Adam Groh. Hi, Adam. Thank you. It is still not enough, Matt. Wow, I jumped in there a little That's early. Okay. It's amazing. You were eager. You you have a you have an incredible uh, uh, repertoire. Is that the right word? You have an incredible resume. Yeah, it's it's not unfamiliar territory for comedians to do a lot of different things. Yeah, and you know this is just the nature of the business. So I, I yeah I spread myself out thin. But you know all all those credits kind of help in in advancing all aspects of your. That career. is so true. You, I'm glad you've mentioned everything. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> we literally that's literally every single we haven't left out one detail of things you did in yeah. the stand no kidding there are things that uh, as i was creating the intro that i am leaving out you really have had an impressive career my friend and the time that we really we met actually you probably don't remember this but we met it would have been i think it was in toronto it was at absolute comedy club i believe and uh, we worked together just briefly i was doing something and you were doing something there but we really got to talking more recently uh, as with your role in the foundation for canadian comedy there's been not to get into it from our listeners but there's been a, a whole kerfuffle going on uh, in the canadian and well, the comedy world in general in regards to uh, serious satellite radio and rights plays and all that kind of stuff and the foundation for canadian comedy has been uh, really helpful in helping comedians navigate all of that and so we've had some good conversations with you well i mean more than that i mean obviously that's always on our radar it's uh it's the, the temperature rises when we talk about that entity for a lot of different reasons uh, mostly good because they both those organizations do amazing things for canadian comedians but cancom focuses on the on the full you know spectrum of filling the void of kind of supporting comedy artists and comedy technical workers across the country in a way that's never been done before. So it's been really exciting. You were a part of the Comedy Symposium, which just is wrapping up right now, it was over the past six months, not to, you know, date stamp this, but... <laughs> yeah, when we release this podcast nine years from now, this is really going to feel right. weird, yeah. Well, you know, comedians listening in 2042 will go, Comedy Symposium, that sounds amazing. How do I find out You more? can go back and listen to back episodes on yeah. the Foundation for Canadian Comedy's website. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, it's been really interesting to, you know, I'm not as relevant in the comedy trenches probably when we bumped into each other at absolute, I don't know. I mean, I, I love club work, but it's just not a major focus for me at this point in my career. Uh, and I do intend to go back into the clubs. The last time I was in a club for me, it's just not been a priority. So it was literally probably like within days of the pandemic being declared 
and that's wow. not a date stamp that anybody's gonna have a problem with because we'll talk about the <laughs> pandemic forever but it's been a long time since i've been in the clubs i'm obviously performing live at corporate gigs and and the bread and butter that is that is true but i miss yeah. i miss the clubs and then to get a chance to still be connected with emerging artists and established artists like yourselves uh yourself and uh, other artists visa <laughs> i am multitude yeah, of you, people you, yeah. you are you're all, you and the ghosts are all <laughs> multiple. Right. we are legion yes but to be able to be involved in the back end of things through cancom has been really rewarding for me it is really interesting what uh, <laughs> i don't know how to say this but what canadian comedy forces you to do because there is we've talked about this with other guests on the podcast too but there really is no one clear path in canadian comedy you really do have to diversify you have to say yes to a lot of things but as frustrating as that can be while you're working your way up it's also really exciting as you get to you know further along in your career because you've said yes to things that have opened doors to things that you would never have thought of early in your career which brings me kind of you started in radio which i did as well mm-hmm. which is Oh, okay. Where were you in radio? That, that's not important. <laughs> I started as their summer fun host, which is uh, you got to go to nice. every single event in the province. Me and too. Me really? Too. And that, me, the hardest yeah. part about that job for me, being the summer fun host, was pretending like I was having fun. Can you relate at all to that? Well, I, you know, it's odd. I don't know if it's for the same reasons, Matt, but maybe it is. It's an, it's an unusual career. And I'm, I know I'm not alone, even if you're not on board with what i'm about yeah, to say let's wait let's see it's an unusual career for someone who's more of an introvert than people expect right yes. and so when you look at a going on stage as a stand-up comedian but even as both of you both of us started our careers in radio you know radio can be perfect for an introvert. yes but when you start out you're typically doing other things and eventually i worked my way up to being the morning drive announcer at a couple stations and then you're also very much in the public eye. But the summer fun person is exactly the opposite of what an introvert would want to do. So I was literally doing exactly what you're talking about back in the day when we were calling in on, you know, company assigned cell phones yes. to do a report yep. from the field. He's like, it's Adam Grohl reporting live from the Cookstown Wingding and you gotta <laughs> come down. You know, that's exactly the type of thing that I was doing. But at the same time, you know, you you alluded to earlier how comedians have to continue to do a lot of different things. You know, my work in radio and being live in front of crowds, uh, and I eventually, anytime I got asked to host a fundraiser in the community, it was like, if I was available, yes. Hmm. And you often don't get paid for that kind of no. stuff. So it prepared me for the mentality of being a Canadian comedian because you're performing don't for no money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. But it was just, you, you have to be a yes person. Yeah. And you, and that kind of legs and comfort in front of audiences, which, you know, it's very, very similar to stand up. You know, because you often earlier in your careers and even later in your career, you get booked to do stand up in environments where the audience is not expecting it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. They're like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden you're like performing. So when you're the summer fun person for a radio station, you're landing at an event where maybe one person knows you're arriving and you're trying to, you know, get people excited and interested and, and find something amazing to talk about and find an angle. And that's very much common. That's so true. But and honestly, Adam, I could talk to you about this for a long time. But I'm yes. getting I'm getting a nudge yeah. here. Uh, I don't know if you can feel <laughs> that cold chill that just came <laughs> over the air. But no. I think we're gonna get our first visitation. Okay. I am the ghost of comedy past. Today I take you to the comedian that made you want to be a comedian. 
Okay, so you started in radio, you get into comedy. Was there a comic that made you want to do it? I can't say for for real to be authentic that there was one or two. What if you were being inauthentic? If I was being inauthentic, I would still lean towards, I identify with cohorts of comedians. Like, okay, so the first stand-up comedian that ever really wowed me was okay. Eddie Murphy. Yes. From Delirious. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, that dates me for sure. I was, <laughs> you know, I was a young, I was young. When it wasn't like just, you know, in my 30s or something. Right, okay. But I was like, I had never seen anything like that in my life. Hmm. that stage and i eventually ironically or you know apropos i won a radio contest mm -hmm. to see eddie murphy live eventually when i was in high school oh, so cool. i not only was wowed by him when i saw his delirious tv taping but then i saw him live in vancouver and but it wasn't a moment i have to be honest it wasn't a moment i was like i'm gonna do stand-up because i I even dabbled in stand-up many years later when I was in university okay. and still didn't decide to make that a career. The bug hadn't bit you. Yeah. I, and then when I was working in radio, I often would be hosting an event and then throwing to a comedian. So I saw a lot of comedians before I even technically started in comedy, like Mike Bullard and Derek Edwards. Wow. And yeah. Some of these legacy Canadians that are, you know, like if I had identified with them, I would have not gotten into it because you're like, whoa, like, sure. I could, the, the, the amount of content that they have is like overwhelming and the art of how they manage like a live audience was like, there's no, I can't do that. So really when I started to identify as a, as a comedian was when I, I really embraced the laugh resort. Uh, I've never worked mm. for yuck yucks. Um, I've always been, you know, what they call independent, although everybody's independent. So I primarily worked the laugh resort and then eventually absolute comedy and then any independent clubs across the country. And so it was when I would sit in the audience as a, as a, as a newbie with five minutes of material, and I'd see artists that were ahead of me, like Mark Farrell and Tim, Tim Riker, Tim Steves, I, you know, Tim Steves, I've been thinking a lot about, and again, not to date stamp, you know, we're mm. talking about ghosts of comedy past. It's, you know, very appropriate. Well, Tim, you know, guys like Tim and Steve Levine and, Carolyn Ray and Meg Soper and Judy Kroon, some of them I'd never worked with because they didn't work the lap resort, but they were established artists in the comedy field when I started. And I would look at them and go, the talent and the skill, but it would be, to, to me, I would say to myself, if I apply myself, I think that I, that's attainable to me versus mm -hmm. someone who you look at and you go, there's no way. I remember, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm scrambling to find examples, but years later when I saw like television shows that I imagine hosting, when I saw Jon Stewart host The Daily Show, I said, well, why even bother? Uh, nobody will ever be able to do it better than Jon Stewart. Yeah. And then you know, and then you find out that that people can and whatever. But you, <laughs> That's if, right, you, yeah. if, you if you let yourself be intimidated by the real kind of, you know, above the superstars. Yeah, you, you'll, you won't do it. Whereas if you see really talented people that obviously work really hard, and even though he was ahead of me in years and had been an uh, improv and sketch artist, Ron James is a good example. He and I were contemporaries from a stand-up perspective. He started yeah. in stand-up when I started in stand-up, but I didn't have years of going to L.A. and being a star in other uh, genres of comedy before that. But I would, if I modeled myself after Ron, I would have quit a long time ago because he is a prolific workaholic writer yeah, in he the most incredible. positive ways. Incredible. I mean, yeah, I and I, you know, so the inspiration of doing road trips with Ron was not so much I need to be like him because I would, I would be, you know, I'd be done. But it was be, be my best version of myself inspired by people like Ron. Uh, you know what I mean? That's, wow. that's the road.
long answer to your ghostish ghoulish question. <laughs> I like this because instead of saying, because like for me, you know, I, I would, my answer is very easy. My answer is Robin Williams. My answer is, okay. you know, the old school Ellen DeGeneres. But like, I love, I love this answer. It's not at all what I was expecting. You, you weren't so much inspired by these giant superstars. You were inspired by your contemporaries. You were inspired by people coming up at the same time as you. Maybe they started coming up a little bit before you and they're a little further ahead, but people that you could look to and go, this is a model of what I can actually shoot for. You know, you're not looking at people selling out arenas and stadiums and going, oh, I can do that. But like you, you look at these people, your contemporaries, and you say to yourself, well, this is attainable. It's 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 that well, step forward. And it's also, for me, it keeps me energized because there's different cohorts continuing throughout my career that re-energize me. So years later, I'm a decade in, I'm already a headliner. We're at the new lap resort and I'm bringing up acts that are close to starting out or relatively fresh. They may not be the first time they've ever been on stage. And a couple of names that just jumped to my mind are, you know, the Deb DiGiovanni and oh, yeah. uh, Ryan Belleville. And I would see them get on stage and I go, that's how, that's how much fun I used to have, <laughs> you know, like wow. that's what I need to get back to. And then you just, it's infectious, right? You go, I, I'm not anything like Deb or Ryan, but they're inspirational, even though they're, they were years behind and they weren't headliners. You would just see them perform and go, wow. I mean, you got to bring that back and you can't let that go. And if you feel that you start to let that go, you, this is why your show is great, Matt. You've got to call upon that ghost of comedy past to, to get into your inner belly and bring it back. Because otherwise you're going to get like, oh, well, my bother. You know, you just, you'll lose your momentum. I really like this answer. And it brings us nicely to our second ghost. You're, I don't know if you can hear those bells right now, Adam. Chilling. I am the ghost of comedy present. Answer this. What's the most fulfilling part of your job today? Okay. Fulfilling is a big word, but... I think that the most fulfilling has two sides for an introvert. There's the, the external outward side, which is going to come to a quintessential representation of what anybody strives for, which is having at least some name face voice recognition which is mm. what cash cab has brought me yeah and even though you never know we who knows we might be in production uh you never know um we haven't been in production for many many years so any cash cab that people are seeing is repeats and especially during mm. the pandemic the continuous flow of fan mail via social uh about people who have found some comfort in some light tv watching and mm. the content and then my job hosting cash cab is so rewarding and so fulfilling to to put your face and name on something that still resonates with people and i know it is what it is it's a reality game show i'm not saying it's anything more than it is but that's just it in the context of what you strive for as a comedian you know for me i always remember being in auditions when i was like early in my career yeah. it would be a commercial audition and you'd be sitting beside somebody who was like, you know, you know, just kind of complaining or was like, ah, oh, yeah, well, well, we'll get this job for whatever company. At least it's not a game show. And I, and I would look at them and I go, I would kill to host a game show. Like I would love, like for me, I should have actually given this context because when I was really young, yeah, my, my TV heroes were Bob Barker and Johnny Carson. Wow. Okay. And as, as a young kid, I, 
thought they basically did the same thing. <laughs> Even though they're they both hosts, very, they're both presenters. Sure. And so later on, it really like when I got cash cab, I was like, this is, I hope this goes for, and I visualized, like, I hope, I hope this goes for eight to 10 seasons. I should have said 15 to 20 because we only got eight. <laughs> you did get the eight. Yeah. I really visualized. I go, this is perfect for me. This is right in my wheelhouse, you know, in all contexts of the word. And so it's very, I just that, caught, I caught the pun like eight seconds too late. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm very much about the puns on, on the close, on the wrap ups of the cap. So that's very fulfilling on an outward side. But then on an, on an inward side, it's very fulfilling for me. I think that when you look at your career, there's been times when I've had to reinvent myself. Yeah. And if if I described my reinvention periods to anybody else externally, they might go, very minor tweak there, bro. You know, you know. But in your own mind, it's like this is hard. This is challenging. I've, you know, at a critical juncture. And it was very fulfilling just to adjust and find success. So that for me, there's been times like that in my career over, you know, I've been at it for over a quarter of a century that remind you that, especially in comedy, the resilience and your commitment to history is the best indicator of success. Something will happen. Even when things seem like it's like a dead end and nothing's going to happen, don't give up. Uh, find a pathway and then really apply yourself. And it's very fulfilling to know that whatever's coming down the pipeline I can trust myself to adjust and find a way. And you said the magic words down the pipeline, and that stirred yeah. something in my next ghost here. So hang on, Adam. Okay. I am the ghost of comedy yet to come. What does the future of Canadian comedy look like? I mentioned to the ghost of comedy future that uh, you are a co-founder and sit on the board for the Foundation of Canadian Com for, for Canadian Comedy. So in your opinion, as an advocate for Canadian comedy, as someone who's been in the Canadian comedy scene for 25 years, what do you see as the future of Canadian comedy? What does it look like in your eyes? Well, I see the momentum that has started in recent years building and accruing a different kind of investment explain in what, what do you mean by that comedy artist so right now we've already been successful building canada's brand as a comedy nation even without significant and substantial ongoing investment so you mean like everybody knows that canada is a breeding ground for comedy well that legacy for a while i was afraid of was going to be deteriorated and dissolve because hmm. for a good chunk of time we haven't necessarily been the leading market but that's we, changed yeah. in the last three to five years yeah. and you know even in the toughest of times you know for me the, the the future of canadian comedy because of the global stage is how do we get over ourselves here to properly invest in making sure that the really talented stars of Canadian comedy don't have to permanently leave this country hmm. to actualize who they are and then also have a significant talent pool of Canadian comedians who are making a living mostly from work in comedy. And I think it's possible. And I think it's because of what, you know, the, the ghosts of comedy pasts and, and recent past have 
done in terms of paving the, the, the way and how some producers and creators that are, you know, you know, stimulating the creation of Canadian content and taking it, you know, to the global market have done. And, you know, like everybody kind of points that, you know, the recent example of a few years back of Schitt's Creek. And then all of a sudden, if yeah. you watched again, not to date stamp this and Canadian screen awards, comedy is definitely still popping for Canadian creators. Oh, absolutely. And so it, for a while though, it was like we were getting overshadowed, not only because of our neighbors having the bigger machine, promo machine and whatever, and, and we were being inundated by less and less options, but there's been this shift in terms of prioritizing different communities and different voices. And I think part of that has to do with what people are, are somewhat pushing back against in some respects, which is representation. And representation, I think, helps everybody. I've always yeah. had what I always call it an auto mall approach, right? Um, because there's a reason why Ford and Toyota and Honda and Chrysler all have their shops next to each other in like, you know, an area of town or on the outskirts. Cause when you're shopping for a car, you like to go, you know, they're making it convenient. And then they sure. think, well, it's, 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 it's enticing. It's, it's of value to me to be next door to them because they'll steal me and then we'll come over and maybe they'll buy a car for me. Right. So I've always had an auto mall approach to it. It's like when, when one cohort or genre is doing well in Canadian comedy, it's going to help all of us because it builds an audience and it builds an interest. And so representation is important for its, it's true reasons and it's gotten new voices and communities that have been historically underrepresented and underserved in terms of being able to express themselves. You look Absolutely. at one of the winners like sort of, and uh, you know, tall boys. I mean, you know, when I, when I think about representation, it works the same way as any other comedy, you still have to be funny. You know, you might get a shot at it because of the voice or the community that you represent, but you gotta be funny. You gotta have the goods mm -hmm. and it's, and it's the funny stuff. And then what happens is, representation brings these new voices and a new excitement to the whole industry. And now more people are just wanting to go to clubs or they're going to go watch a live special or yeah. they're going to download more comedy. It just helps everybody. Right. As opposed to it being a zero sum game. Here's the thing too, is like with the two things that you said, it, they go together perfectly. You want to create a, a type of momentum that people don't have to leave Canada to do comedy. And you also want to like cultivate the Canadian comedy scene. Well, those two things work hand in hand together. And like you said, it doesn't have to be a zero sum game. It's not me against you. If the scene is big enough, if we've yeah. built up a big and substantial scene, then everybody helps everybody else. That's exactly it. And then to, to serve the former point, you don't need to leave in order to do it because it's a big, exciting scene is happening right here. Yeah. So that's that, you know, was a long route to get to what I think the future of Canadian comedy is. You've got a, a bigger talent pool of people who are working in Canada domestically and able to travel once in a while and make most of their living from comedy. And then when you look at that star level, there are people who are, you know, strategically and consciously injected into the global pipelines as opposed to it being random and put on their shoulders entirely. So mm. you always hear these stories of like, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to move to New York. I'm just going to move to LA. And I get that, but there's only so many people that have the resources and wherewithal to do that. Mm. And so if in Canadian comedy, like a found, like a foundation, like CanCom, 
can work, collaborate with public funding and private funding like we're doing with our first ever comedy grants, which are privately funded, yeah. uh, and funding comedy artists in a way that they've never been funded before, then more Canadians will be able to be injected into those pipelines. We're never going to create a pipeline and a machine like Hollywood or New York in Canada. We don't have the population or the geography to do it. It's impossible. Mm. So how do we consciously and strategically put more Canadians in that pipeline so that they they do go away, they you know, I mean, we always know what happens. They move away for a little while. They get Fallon or whatever. They become shiny. And all of a sudden they come back and, you know, it's like, wow. But it's like the same talent. They're still as funny as they were five years ago before they moved. So I want to, future of Canadian comedy is, is more people strategically invested in to put them into the, into the market. And that comes with collaboration. It shouldn't just be on the shoulders of the comedy artist to go, I'm going to go yeah. $10,000 in debt to do this. We should be doing it. To to give uh, as many opportunities for Canada to continue to build upon that brand as a comedy nation. Man, I I, I can't agree with this more. Everything you said is just a hundred percent bang on. So incredibly excited about what you're saying, and but I got to ask you, you've mm. been brought on this journey, Mister Grow. Mm. All right, you've been brought to the past, to the present, and we've we've taken a glimpse into the future of uh, what you think it's going to look like. What do you think the ghosts have been trying to teach you? my friend. This was no accident, all right, that they brought you to these three specific places. What have you learned, my friend? It's time to get back out and report live from the Cookstown Wingding. Once again, <laughs> go back to your roots. The ultimate callback. Uh, yeah, I, I think... I think I just need, I think the, the ghosts of comedy past, present, and, and what it might look like in the future are just reminding me to stay humble and, uh, and have gratitude for, for where I've come from and keep injecting that energy. There's, there's been times, and I'm, you know, I'll admit, I'm, I'm currently in a time right now where I feel in some areas of my professional life that I'm, I'm just ready to throw in the towel on some respects. I, right. I'm feeling just like, ah, I've tried. I really mm. did try and it just didn't land the way I imagined, mm. you know? And again, I bring up Tim Steves again. He'd always keep me honest. You know, it's like, yeah, you, you know, you, you mailed that one in and I go, I, I didn't. He goes, no, no. <laughs> one of the critical junctures in my comedy career was I just, I reflected back, not just him, but I reflected back on how I was perhaps just not putting enough energy into my performance and mm. that, that love to it. And I went on stage. I remember it specifically because of Tim, because he would give me heck and yeah. keep me honest. And I just all of a sudden invented a new energy for myself mm. on stage. Uh, and it was the best way to describe it is like a nerdy, nerdy dad guy. I, I am a nerdy <laughs> dad guy, but I never really, I always kind of like, you know, cause I've got this voice and I kind of, you know, you imagine yourself as leading man type. And so right. you, kind of, you <laughs> we you all do, but that energy eventually got me just for laughs because yeah. I, it was, it was the same material for the most part. Um, and then I just, you know, I would expand my writing and build upon that nerdy dad guy. And that was my opening bit was I was a nerdy. I wrote a bit about being thinking I'm cool and I'm not cool man alive. And, and then, so that got me just for laughs. And now eventually another critical juncture came about seven years later when I had to throw that away because you know, I had gotten a couple of TV things as a result of that, but then you, you have to make, you have to change things up. You have to adapt. You have to keep moving. 
That's really cool. That's why I kind of reflect and I, I bring it back to Steve's really quickly. One of his jokes that I just really love is was when he before he got married and had a kid, he talked about how he was in his 40s and he, he wasn't finding love and he wasn't, you know, finding the right connection. And his punchline was the it might be me bells are ringing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And That's it was like there was like it's such a good line. And then so I often use that. Like I'm having a tough time right now. I'm in a bit of a valley because of some stuff I've been working on that has not landed and I'm really frustrated. Mm. And sometimes I'm reflecting, is it other people? Like nobody's listening. There's no attention to detail. There's no work ethic. And I'm going, it, it, it might be me, wow. right? And so I, I have to kind of remind myself of that. And, and that's kind of where I'm at. But underlying that is the hope that I will figure it out. And of course you will, of course. And thank you for that vulnerability too. And I'll say this uh, as we as we start saying goodbye here. That's something that I picked up on uh, as we were talking is that the Ghost of Comedy Past brought you to this place where your cohorts, your fellow Canadian comedians were pouring into you through their performance enough to inspire you to get on stage and do it. And as you were performing, as you were building up this career, your cohorts were pouring into you to get you to be better and to go forward and go stronger, like people like Tim Steves and then and, and Ron James and, and all this kind of stuff. And then even after some of these huge successes, people were pouring into you through fan mail. And now you were in a place in your life and in your career where you are starting through the Foundation for Canadian Comedy to pour it all back mm. and to make Canadian comedy bigger and stronger and better. And I, I think that is absolutely beautiful. And sir, I, I thank you for the work that you have done and for the work that you are doing and for the work that you will continue to do because uh, we have not seen the last of Adam grow. I know that. Oh, thank oh. you. Thank you so much for being on the show, Adam. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. And I and I love your wrap up there. And I will say this as the ghost of I don't know. I you just I just love the little ghostish ghoulish voices, but it was very fun. You're doing amazing stuff here too by bringing these narratives together. So well, thank, thank you. you. And and how do how do people find you, Adam? Where do they get in touch with you? Well, adamgrow.com uh for my website and for bookings, to be honest with you, you know, my agent is at Diamondfield, but you can reach me directly mm -hmm. at LinkedIn as well. Perfect. A big thank you to my guest, Adam Grow. We will put all those links in our show notes. Uh, and thank you to the ghosts of comedy past, present, and future. And thank you most of all to all of you for listening. Please, on your favorite podcast provider, would you consider leaving us a review, subscribing to us? It helps us so much. I'm Matt Falk. Until next time, God bless us, everyone.